We're going to be looking at 2 Peter, and it was written by Simon Peter, yes, the very same one that walked with Jesus, in this letter that houses in it passion and a desire to see Christian men and women live to their full potential in Christ. How many of you think that sounds pretty good? All right. And written somewhere between 64 and 68 AD, this letter was written to an audience of Jews and Gentiles trying to live their lives in an ever-increasingly hostile environment to their faith. Peter's desire was to write, to encourage and equip these readers with the tools necessary to live their lives even when surrounded by the problems, perplexities, and complications of life and culture. In other words, he's trying to teach you and I, his readers, how to, he's trying to teach us to learn how to live faithfully in difficult times. How many of you show of hands have had a difficult time at one point or another in life, right? Most of us have in here. And so Peter, he's trying to teach us how to live through difficult moments. And I want to zone in on a particular piece of section uh, or a particular section of scripture that is going to launch us into this series and really create for us the framework for where we're going over the next few weeks. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 15, and then we're going to zone in on verses 3 through 4 today. And then we'll be kind of working through some of the rest of us. And then we're going to launch from there into a lot of different topical conversations. All right? So this is not necessarily going to be like a word-for-word, chapter-by-chapter study of Second Peter. I'm using this piece of scripture right here to launch us into where we're going to kind of check out different topics. Because I don't know if you're like me, but real life provides some interesting moments right? Real life, come on somebody, provides for each and every single one of us a lot to work through and negotiate through. And so in this series, I want to, as uh, I've really been challenged lately, to prepare our church for different moments that everyday life houses for us. And so we live defensively many times, right? Versus offensively. And so I want to equip us to live, I think the church should be an offensive Thing, right? So we're going to talk about loss. We're going to talk about stress. We're going to talk about dealing with critique. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about singleness. We're going to talk about all kinds of different things. You fill in the gaps. We're probably going to talk about it. We're going to talk about fear. And, and these are a lot of things that we don't deal with all the time. Think, I mean, talk about loss, for instance. Many of us never deal with loss until we're actually dealing with loss. Come on, right? Most of us are never like equipped to deal with the very thing that we're going to deal with at one point or another. And I've stood in front of enough uh, funeral services and moments and I've watched Christians really not know how to process through this one moment like many other moments that we face because we just haven't talked about it. So this is going to be an awesome series. I, I hope that you can engage and dig in and, and, and be a part of this over the next few weeks. This is going to take us uh, for a while. I love long series. Okay, so we're going to be in this one for a while. We're going to dig into all kinds of different things. And so you know, I've got a lot of questions about this. So you know, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and 5 p.m. starting next week, 5 p.m. is going to be the same content as our 9 and 11 a.m. So you're not missing anything in this. The series will carry all through all of our services. So starting by friends, if you're saying I'm going to lay down in the 5 p.m., fantastic. Um, it's going to be a really cool new season that we're moving into. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 15 says this. His divine power, we shall power. power. Come on, we shall power. power. 9 a.m. was loud this morning, so you got you to stay there with me. Has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Life 
and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is the world because of sinful desire for this reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue we're going to be talking about this next week and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness this is where peter wraps a little bit and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for if these qualities are yours and are increasing they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of jesus for whoever lacks these quality, qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Peter's a good pastor. He says the same thing over and over and over again. <laughs> Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it's right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. There we go. We're having battery issues, so, you know, that's how we, that's how we roll. There's a nice little handoff there. <laughs> Thank you. So this morning, as we begin our new series, That's Life, I want to speak to you from the subject of Kuna Matata. Kuna Matata. As we look at the idea of real life and real faith, will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and active, that it has the ability to transform us from the inside out. I thank you for every single person that sits in this building this morning. And while we gather here for encouragement and to be, to be taught and to, to glean. Father, these four walls do not make our church. I pray this week that as we dismiss in just a little bit, that we would then go and do church, that we would then go and be the church as we step out of these doors, Father. I thank you for this rally that we get to have together to worship you and to praise you and to, to glean from you. But may you equip us in this moment with your grace and presence so that as we head out into the world that we head into, God, that we'd have everything necessary to take on life, reach people, love this city, and see change. We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' mighty name, come on. The church shouted, amen. amen. Get, anybody Disney fans in here? Disney fans, come on. Yeah, all right, cool. The rest of you are liars. That's just saying. If you don't put your hand up for that, there's something wrong. But I love Disney movies. I'm not as big of a fan as the new Disney movies that are coming out because I just kick it old school, right? They're good. I mean, there's been some really good Disney movies. But my two favorite Disney movies are The Lion King and Ratatouille. Can I get a witness, right? They, they are by far my most favorite movies, Ratatouille and, and The Lion King. I don't know why. They speak profound things to me, but uh, I love these, these two movies. So if my kids come to me, Dad, let's watch a movie. And they, they say, well, I say, which one? And they pick any Disney movie between these two. It's like, no, go ask your mom. And so, but if they say The Lion King or Ratatouille, I, I'm, I'm down with watching these movies. But particularly The Lion King. I don't know what it is, but I think fathers all across the world want to be able to hold their child up over a cliff and just, yeah, and yeah, and just do their thing, right? When we have our little girl, that's what's going to happen. The minute she comes out, I'm just going to hold her up and do, do The Lion King, and it'll be awesome. And then everybody will think I'm strange and awkward. But I love 
the Lion King, but I have a problem with the Lion King. It is theologically off. Here's why. Many of you recall the moment where the lion, the little pig, and the ferret, or whatever it is, I, I, don't, even, I don't even know what it is, right? They're running around, and, and the, the song comes on, Akuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. It means no worries for the rest of my days. It's our problem-free philosophy. Akuna Matata. The problem is, it's a lie. Because if you've lived for all of 10 minutes, you would realize that life is not a problem-free philosophy, that there is no real akuna matata. It would be great if we could just akuna, matata, akuna, matata, right? Our way through life, but it doesn't work that way. All right, because there are problems, there are situations, and yes, it's a super catchy song, but if you've lived for all of 10 minutes, you would quickly realize that life is full of stuff, it's full of problems, situations, circumstances, it's not a worry-free life, it's not an easy sailing life, it's not a kick-your-feet-up-and-relax type of life, it's the type of life to which every single one of us in here, at some point or another, has either uttered the words or have heard them uttered, that's life. That's life. Maybe you've been there and you've gone through something and you say to yourself, well, that's, that's life. That's just the way that it is. Top, Tupac was on to something, right? That's just how it goes. Some of you are waiting like, oh, I'm going to get that. Yes, you will. Trust me. <laughs> the iconic singer-songwriter Frank Sinatra famously sang the words, that's life. As he would sing about the ups and the downs of life, the ins and the outs of life, the narrow escapes, the frustrating relationships, and the constant reality of being brought down to size. And maybe Forrest Gump was right when he said, life is like a box of chocolates, you never know what you're going to get. Why? That's life. And I guess it's a rub for all of us, if we're honest. If life is real, which it is, how does our faith play a part in it? Because I think that we've all been there at one point or another. I know that I have. When the reality of my faith does not seem to balance out the reality of my life. Isn't that what frustrates us about faith? Not really understanding, understanding how it works itself out in our real lives. When we're faced with death and sickness and job loss and divorce, foreclosure, late bills, kids, college, marriage, singleness, depression, fear, insecurity, loneliness. We have real life and we're struggling to see how our faith interacts with that real life. Come on, am I talking to anybody that's real in here? <laughs> So when we're facing the doldrums, the realities of life, the ups and the downs of life, we need to be reminded that we have everything that we need. And that's what I love so much about 2 Peter, is the proclamation of truth over all of our lives. We have everything that we need for life, come on, Rishal, life and godliness. Rishal, godliness. And these are very important words that we need to understand because we're going to be circling around these two words multiple times throughout this series. We're going to keep coming back to these. Now, Peter uses two words, life and godliness, and they're very important for us to understand. These two words that he uses are to establish a foundation for his encouragement and to help all of us understand what he's talking about. To help us understand that he's being very literal about his Subject matter. The first word that he uses, life, in the Greek is a term that we know as Zoe. 
Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you've seen a child named this before. Z-O-E. Zoe. He uses this word so that we are very clear that he is talking about real life. Because yes, there is some confusion. There is this idea that when we become followers of Jesus, all of a sudden life is supposed to slip into some fairy tale life. Right? Where everybody just floats around and it's all good. God is good. Life is good. Sting's playing in the background. It's fields of gold. Right? And Oprah's giving everybody cars. There's this almost mystic idea that revolves around a life lived following Jesus. And Peter made sure to address this issue by the usage of this word Zoe. Zoe meaning real life and everyday existence. So this is what he's saying. God has given us everything necessary for everyday real life and existence. That's a good place to say amen. Because I don't know about you, but that's good news. Because, come on, have you ever been there before where you felt like you didn't have everything you need for everyday life and existence? And that's what Peter's encouragement. So he uses the word Zoe. His encouragement was this, that in Christ we have everything that we need to navigate the waters and the realities of everyday real life. second word he uses is godliness. And he uses this word eusbia. Eusbia in the Greek. And this word is very different than what we might think that it means at first glance. You see, the word godliness for many can bring up a very negative connotation, right? If I say, is your life full of godliness, you may look at me and say, can I punch you? Because there's something negative about this idea. One would think perfection and without sin, and one would be wrong. This is the best trans- translation I found. Uh, I found it actually in the complete word study dictionary as literally meaning this. This is amazing. This is what godliness means right here. Eusbia in the Greek is well-directed reverence. Think about that. Now watch, let's put, the, put these things together. This is what Peter says. You have everything you need for Zoe and Eusbia. You have everything that you need for everyday practical life and well-directed reverence towards me. Not that you have everything that you need for perfection, but well-directed reverence. In other words, you can have faith and reverence and worship for God in the midst of real life. And this is the rub for a lot of us because we feel guilt and shame and frustration and like we don't add up and we're not being good little uh, girls and boys that love Jesus when all of a sudden real life rears its ugly head in our lives. But that's not the way we've been intended to live. Real faith is the type of faith that's well-directed reverence in the midst of real life. And so when the house is foreclosed on and the bills are late and the marriage is rocky and you ain't doing singleness too well and the addiction is coming back at you and you're frustrated because you feel lonely or insecure and fear, well, that's life. But I want to tell you this morning, encourage you, you have everything that you need for Zoe and Eusbia. And in the midst of your darkest moments, you can still have well-directed reverence towards God. Real life and real faith are not mutually exclusive. They can both exist at the same time. They can dance with another. Dance with each other. That's how I dance, so you know. (laughs) See, for many of us, we've bought into the lie that you either have one or the other. Right? Come on, we bought into the lie that if you have great faith, real life doesn't exist. Who taught us that? 
That is insanity. And this is why we get frustrated at God. Because we don't I have enough faith? Don't I have enough usbia? Aren't I doing enough? Aren't I attending church enough? Aren't I serving enough? Aren't I? Don't I have, I have faith? Why is real life here? But Peter wants us to understand something. <laughs> real life is a part of the journey. It's Zoe. Zoe and Eusebia. Two great names for kids, by the way, if you want to put that out there. It's just hard. Don't name your daughter Eusebia. That's just weird. <laughs> they can work together, and that's the encouragement for us this morning. So the question then is how? How do we work through Zoe and Euspia? How do we have real life and real faith happening? How do we have well-directed reverence and real life happening at the same time? Peter gives us those properties. He gives us the things necessary to do this, but they're very different than what we think. Watch. Everybody shout number one for me. Three truths regarding real life and real faith, and this is the first one. No matter what life throws at us, we have a power like no other. No matter what life throws at us, we have a power like no other. That's why he says, watch, his divine power. Every shout power. power. Come on, every shout power. power. Every shout powerful like you're powerful. <laughs> there you go. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to Zoe and Eusebia, life and godliness. And this is where the rubber really meets the road for each and every single one of us. Because we all know what it feels like to be powerless. Right? I think that's what Paul is trying to convey when he writes 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content. Watch it. He's content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Why? Because when he is weak, he says, then I am strong. That's a good position to be. You ever felt powerless before in life? I know I have. I, I think back when I was a kid and I used to wrestle my dad. I felt powerless. You can never beat your dad. Why? Because dads have more to lose. That just, just putting that out there. <laughs> See, both Peter and Paul knew that their life and their faith was dependent upon a power that was not of their own. And they needed it. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Paul knew it. That's why he wrote about the grace. But Peter knew it because Peter was, well, he was, a, he was a brick short of a full house at times. Right? If you read the Gospels, Peter was a knucklehead. I've talked a lot about Peter because I identify with Peter. I get it. <laughs> right? But there's this moment, Peter, in Acts chapter 2, where all of a sudden, if you're like me, you read the scripture and you go, who is that? Because it doesn't look like the Peter I knew. And this is the storyline. We move on the backside of the Gospels. Jesus gets up from the grave. He shows himself to Peter who was fishing again on the beach. They have breakfast. He asks Peter if he loves him. He restores Peter for denying him and all the other goofy things that Peter did throughout their time together in ministry. And he says, go build my church. Because remember, I said that over your life. So then we flash forward to the beginning of Acts. And we find all the disciples together with a bunch more in an upper room. And the Bible tells us that fire descends upon them. And they're speaking in different tongues. And all this stuff starts happening. And as you would somebody goes are these are these dudes drunk so Peter in all of his greatness he comes out and he says no guys it's like noon okay we're not drunk right now no one's drunk right now and then he gives one of the greatest messages that you will ever read throughout the New Testament he starts preaching you think I'm shouting Peter's going off 
Best message ever. Go back and read it. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. He's going. He's preaching. And he's saying all these amazing things. And as you read it, you're going, who is this guy? Because that's not the same dude that just denied Jesus a few chapters back. This is a whole other guy who's preaching about the greatness of Jesus and the salvation found in him. And all of a sudden, Peter preaches this message. And at the end of it, people get saved and the church is birthed. Why? Well, because... He understood that he had a power like no other. Think about that. He had a power like no other. The idea of our lives being supported and supplied by the power of God is a foreign concept, especially in our Western culture and upbringing, because we pride ourselves on pride and self-reliance, don't we? We pride ourselves on what I'm able to do. And maybe it's the nomadic and pioneering spirit of our nation. Maybe it's the product of always trying to be the best or some misplaced Darwinian undertone that we have to make sure that we're not the weakest in a dog-eat-dog world. I don't know what it is, but I want to tell you this morning, I want to encourage you that no matter what life throws at us, we have a power like no other. And it's a power that has lived and gone on from Old Testament to New Testament. Watch this. Whatever the truth is that we need to understand we will find ourselves at one moment or another that proves beyond a shadow of doubt when it comes to real life and real faith we are powerless that we need a power like no other why because it's in our weakness that we then experience a power like no other it is the same power that put the stars into the sky and separated the water from the land it's the same power that brought rain down upon the earth and spoke from a bush separated the red sea and brought manna from heaven it's the same power that caused the wall to fall and the sun to stand still. It's the same power that brought courage to 300 men. It is the same power that brought victory to a young boy over a giant. It's the same power that caused rain to cease and oil to abound for a widow and a son to be brought back to life. It's the same power that brought Esther before a king, Daniel through the den of a lion, Jonah out of a whale, and caused the prophets to prophesy. It's the same power that turned water into wine, healed the lame, the deaf, and the crippled. It's the same power that ushered forgiveness to a prostitute, spoke grace to the adulterer, and brought restoration to a wayward disciple. It's the same power that healed the leper, brought sight to the blind, brought freedom to the captives, and raised Christ from the grave. It is the same power. And that is the Bible, Old Testament to New Testament. It's the same power that the Bible tells us lives in us. Come on, I don't know about you, but that just gets me excited to go back out into my, my Zoe and Eusebia. <laughs> Zoe, Eusebia, <laughs> Zoe, Eusebia. <laughs> Come on, everybody shot number two for me. <laughs> no matter what the world tries to take away from you, you have promises like no other. So not only do you have a power, here comes the power of alliteration. You've got promises. Promises. Watch what he says in 2 Peter 1, verse 4, by which he has granted to us his precious, his precious and very great promises. Promises. I think for a lot of us, we don't understand that God has given us promises. My boy, he loves, he loves dollars now. Um, I think this is part of his grandparents' They've put this in him, so I blame them. Easter egg hunts at their house is not candy. They put money in the Easter egg, right? 
which is really difficult for, <laughs> for us, because then they come to me, and are you going to put money in? Are you? And I'm like, no, son, uh-uh, that's your grandparents' issue. They can take that up with Jesus. <laughs> you get cotton balls, that's it. <laughs> and so he loves the concept, he's starting to understand the concept of money now. He likes it, he understands that if you gather enough of it, you can buy certain things, all right? Um, you can buy Legos. You can buy different toys. And so now everything is attached to the almighty dollar. I say, son, can you please put your dish in the dishwasher? He says, do I get a dollar? And I'm like, no, you just don't get beat. Dishwasher. <laughs> Some of you are like, does he beat his kids? <laughs> son, can you clean your room? Do I get a dollar? No, you just get to live in your room. <laughs> I'm a good, good father. It's who I am, right? <laughs> so everything I ask him to do now, he, he, all the, he all of a sudden has this kickback. Do I get a, get a, do I get a dollar? And there is a reason behind this because I've promised him dollar bills for certain, for certain things. And so I've said, hey, if you do this, you will get a dollar because I want him to learn the principles of, of doing and earning and so on and so forth. And then we practice the principle of tithing so I get most of it back from him and it's awesome, awesome <laughs> concept. <laughs> so good. Many of you are like, I do not want to be raised by you. <laughs> so he has, now he calls me out on the carpet. He's like, dad, you promised, you promised me a dollar. You, prom- you promised me these things. Like, yes, son, I did, I did promise you these, these things. And so I've got to give him his, his dollars and everything like that. But here, here's, the, here's the thing about a promise. He knows that I'm good for it, right? He knows that I'm going to give him a dollar. To me, a dollar is not a big deal. I can give him the dollar bill. But him, it's changed his whole world as to what I provide for him according to my promise. Watch this. See, the strength of the promise actually then changes the strength of the receiver. Come on, somebody. You hear what, you hear what I'm saying? And when we, when we forget or we don't realize that God has given us great and precious promises then we fail to understand how God is working in our lives. So first and foremost, he's given us a power like no other, but then on the other side of it, he's given us promises like no other. And for many of us, we interact with God like he's not good for his promises. We interact with God in a way that we don't believe that he's actually promised a certain thing. But if you read through scripture, just a few moments, you'll quickly realize there's lots of promises. So let me further illustrate it this way. If my son understands, hey, if I told him, listen, son, your sister tomorrow, she's going to come and steal that dollar I just gave you. She's going to come and she's going to take it from you. She's going to flat out steal it from you. But don't worry, I have a $20 bill for you. How many of you understand and know that my boy will gladly let her steal that away? If he, if he knows or understands anything, Shiloh's going to come up on him and she's going to be all hard and she's like, give me your dollar, bro. And he'll be like, okay, take the dollar. Because I got 20 What does that have to do with us? Listen, many of us are holding on to promises that are a lot smaller than what's behind it when the enemy tries to take it away from us. And I'll tell you something, the enemy tries to take away a lot of stuff from us. No matter what the world tries to take away from us, we have promises like no other. So we got to understand something. A lot of us are holding on to this one thing. We're holding on to this little thing and the enemy's battling with us. But we got to understand something about scripture is that God said, hey, the enemy's going to try to steal away certain things from you, but I've got even greater promises. I've got infinity promises. I've got promises that are 
greater. They're like no other. And so when he comes to sweep in and steal and kill and destroy, I'm the God who gives back more. I'm the God who says what he steals from you. I return sevenfold. I am a good, good father. No matter what the world tries to take from us, James 1.5, he promises to give us wisdom if we ask. 1 Corinthians 10, he promises to provide a way out of temptation. John 10, he promises that our salvation is secure no matter what. Hebrews 13, he promises to never leave us or forsake us. Philippians 1, he promises to finish the good work that he's begun in us. In Luke 12, he promises to come back. Our Jesus is sure and steadfast, and he completes his promises. Completes his promises. So come on, Peter tells us that we've got a power like no other, but he also tells us that we have promises like no other, and the last one is this, number three. He says, no matter what the past holds over us, we have a new nature like no other. This is good news. No matter what the past holds over us, we have a new nature like no other. I read this this week, and it kind of shaped some of the stuff that I was thinking about talking about. But watch what 2 Peter 1.4 says. He says, by which he's granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Watch that. The divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Write this down if you're taking notes this morning, because I think this is a powerful statement. Nature determines appetite. Nature determines appetite. This means that our nature directs what we're satisfied and what we long for and desire. Nature determines appetite. Today's the fifth Sunday of the month here at the well, and we have a very, very spiritual and special thing that we do every week around here. It's Donut Sunday. Here's what I think. A good church is built on two things, Jesus and donuts, like just straight up, okay? And if you disagree with me, we will have a theological debate, okay? <laughs> if you're like me, the fact that I just mentioned the term donut right now, you're already starting to salivate, right? You're already thinking about what that donut is. You can even smell it. And there's something rising up in you right now, okay? You will walk out of these doors, and when the waft of deep fried dough hits your nose with that sugary sweet stuff, all of a sudden there's this nature that comes up in you that says, feed me all the donuts. It's a little tiny nature. We all have it. And for some of you, it may not be donuts. It may be kale. And well, that's on you. So <laughs> I'm not a hater. I'm just speaking truth, okay? But whatever it may be, this little nature crawls up inside of you and it desires the thing. And it starts to, like, like a tractor beam, like kind of pull you over to the donut. And, and you don't really know how to help yourself, but you just need to have a donut. And, and then when you eat the donut, your nature is satisfied and it is good and it is well with your soul. It's the nature. But it's interesting because the Bible teaches us about another nature. It's our flesh. Flesh nature. And while the donut may not be the thing that attracts that nature. There's a lot of other things that do. There's a lot of other things that that nature is attracted towards and has an appetite to. Sai said this last week, and I thought it was a very powerful statement, is that Jesus should satisfy us fully. So our nature, when it's a new nature, is drawn to the thing that satisfies us 100%. 
He is the food of substance. He is, he is the thing that we shall never hunger or thirst again for. And Peter says, listen, when we understand what we have in Jesus, we are satisfied by him. The past nature doesn't hold anything over us. There is a new nature like no other to which we are now attracted to fellowship with him. We are attracted to his word. We're attracted to worship. We are attracted to being spiritually minded so that we can stand up in the world world that we live in. Why? Because there is a new nature at work in our lives. Nature determines appetite. Some of us in here this morning are struggling with the same thing over and over and over again. I get that because I do too. But when we understand the power of a new nature, the struggle in that thing can become less as we continue to pursue God. Zoe, you spia, Zoe, you spia. Real life, real faith, working together, progressive in his name. Not because we're trying to be perfect, uh-uh. It's because we love being satisfied by God and God alone. I like that idea. I pray the day comes as my little daughter, daughters, grow older. I know, didn't just do that. I pray. I pray the day comes where my daughters, as they grow older, guys start to be interested by in them, start to come around at a safe distance of about 100 yards. that my daughters, because of the relationship that I have with them, are satisfied first and foremost with this relationship. And then they start to compare that which is trying to vie for their attention with the relationship that satisfies them. And when they realize that they're satisfied in this relationship, the comparison becomes great. And they say, until you can add up to that which satisfies me, you ain't coming anywhere near me, baby. Now think about this. Think about when it comes to the things that our flesh is attracted to and that which we desire after sometimes. And God's saying, come, come towards me with confidence. Uh, Hebrews says, come on, you can come to my throne room with boldness. Why? Because I've experienced the things that lure you. I've experienced the things that attach itself to an old nature. But in me, you have a new nature and you actually can progress towards me because I am longing for you and I desire you to long for me to be in a beautiful relationship with him, not religion, not church adherence, not any of these things, a relationship to which I can say on the daily basis, it is well with my soul. I am satisfied in you. I'm satisfied. Why? Because we have a power like no other. We have promises like no other. And in him, we have a new nature like no other. And I pray this weekend, as we look at the 30,000 foot view of that's life, we can understand that there's real life, there's real faith, and there's a real God who plants himself right in the middle of it. And he says, you may be experiencing Zoe, but you can have Euspia, because I've given you everything that you need for real life and real faith in Jesus' name.